There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome to the Future Profits Podcast, hosted by Future Profits Consulting, where we help you understand future profit potential and how to capitalize. I'm Trevor Smith, joined as always by Adam Hooker. Uh, Today we've got a special guest, uh, Tim Smith, joining us. Tim's a former ag lender at Hills Bank over here in eastern Iowa. Uh, I'm just going to welcome him to uh, kind of explain a little bit about himself, and then we'll let him give his bio, and then we're going to run through kind of some lender perspectives on uh, some different topics as we're here at the year end. So with that, uh, welcome, Tim, and uh, if you want to go ahead and, and recite the bio that you, that you want people to know. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today, Tim. Sure. No, it's, it's, uh, enjoy being here and having the time to do it now that I'm, now that I'm retired. So yeah, like I said, my background originally, I grew up on a dairy and hog farm uh, over west of Newton and, uh, graduated, uh, there in 76, went to Iowa State, graduated in ag education in 1980, uh, did my student teaching and decided at that time really didn't want to teach and lots of, lots of things going on in agriculture back in 1980. And, um, I uh, decided to to come down to Eastern Iowa and and, uh, and join Hills Bank, and at that time thought I might work for five years and head back home and milk cows. And during that five years, lots of things changed, obviously. And 1985 was kind of the midst of the farm crisis, and at that time decided to stick it out. And 41 years later, uh, until last week, I stayed with Hills Bank, and, and it's been a great ride for me. And lots of changes during that time, and and. Um, Lots of good things in agriculture, and I've enjoyed it. A large part of my portfolio during that period of time was uh, agricultural loans and uh, lending lar- you know, to larger farming operations. And also had a significant uh, amount in construction and development uh, in, in here in eastern Iowa. A little bit about Hills Bank uh, for some that, that may not know. Hills, Hills is a small town, about 650 people south of Iowa City. And when I started, we just had the one location. Hills started back in 1904, so it's been around for a long time. Ten farmers started it years ago and survived during the Depression, stayed open during the Depression. Uh, right now, it's about $4.2 billion in, in total assets, so one of the largest independent banks in the state of Iowa, and uh, really a desire to stay independent. We've got over 2,700 shareholders. Uh, as long as we can continue to make a little bit of money, I think we can control our destiny of, of remaining independent. I think the advantages of that are I think it allows us to go ahead and make decisions here uh, in, in Eastern Iowa as opposed to having those decisions made outside of the area. Agriculture has always been a big part of Hills. It was founded by farmers, and I think we continue to, to serve a good share of the, the farming community today. Uh, right now, we've got about 350 to $400 million uh, invested in uh, farm loans here in Eastern Iowa. Uh, and then we also serve a lot of uh, agricultural businesses are here in Eastern Isle also. So uh, it's been it's been great business for, for the bank and, and I've certainly enjoyed uh, dealing with it through the years and it's been good. Uh, the footprint of Hills Bank has grown uh, originally kind of 11 county area surrounding Hills and 
continues to reach outside of that now a little bit. And, and uh, the goal, I think, is for that to, to continue as we go forward. And technology has allowed that to happen. So awesome. that's Fantastic. a little about my background. So That's good. Only 41 years. You're giving up early, <laughs> aren't you? I mean, well, yeah, you, I, I, you had another 20 in the easy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, that, that's right. I think if I was if I was back on the farm like most of them now, they kind of, I know the guy that was, was uh, combining my beans out here was 84 years old but, and still combining beans. So uh, that part of it's changed quite a bit. So. so in 41 years, did you change from a Cyclone to a Hawkeye fan or were you always a Hawkeye fan? Yeah, well, no, that, that, I, I, uh, I've never really become a Hawkeye fan. That was pretty hard to beat out of me with both my parents going to Iowa State, and, and uh, that was pretty well ingrained by the time I left. So, All right. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking time and uh, appreciate your service there at Hills Bank, and I'm sure you'll enjoy retirement, but we're going we're gonna to steal a little bit of your time here today and uh, hopefully bring some insight to the listeners out there uh, from what, a, you know, like Trevor said earlier, what the lender's perspective is, and then, uh, you know, just try and try and gleam some of the insight that 41 years in the banking industry can provide. So we'll let Trevor roll from here and start pegging you with questions, Tim. Yeah, Tim. So I guess uh, first thing that, that we kind of got down that we want to go over is, you know, just coming through the, you know, the end of December, turn into January here, the year end process people have had, you know, how they did this past year kind of looking forward to next year, you know, all the, the year end thoughts that are, that are going into, you know, work being done. Um, so with that, I guess, start with, from a banker's perspective, what, what would you say um, operations should be looking at um, from a financial perspective? Um, obviously there's things that the bank has to, has to have, you know, ratios, um, comparisons, stuff like that. And then there's things that the bank would like to see as well. So just kind of start with some of those things um, that you think people should be looking at and, and understanding in their own operation. Well, I think if I, if, if I could choose a time to get out of banking, this was probably it. You know, the, as I as I talked with folks here towards the end of the year, went through a few balance sheets and, you know, year-end statements as to how they ended up the year, uh, I think in most of those cases, they couldn't have ended up in a better position. You know, we had reasonable prices, you know, on the livestock side, you know, and tremendous prices on the grain side. And we're able to take advantage of a lot of that with reasonable input prices and then, you know, selling it at some, some high prices or at least valued at those high prices. And so it, uh, it helped make some good operations look really good and some that were, I don't want to say struggling, but maybe, you know, not, not as good a shape. It made them, it made them better. And I guess the, the, the question now is what do they do with it? And I, I know, unfortunately, sometimes in, in agriculture, we tend to get a little drunk on these good times and we forget what the challenges are ahead of us. And so I think that's part of the, the thing, or I guess the thing that I would caution everybody as we, as we go forward. I know one of my customers uh, years ago uh, told me that, you know, in agriculture, we can make really good money two out of 10 years. The problem is we just don't know when those two years are going to come. If they have in the, at the beginning, we think they're always going to be like that. And if they don't happen until the end, we might we might not get there. And so I think that's a little bit of what we go through right now is if we, if we're starting and think it's always going to be like you know 2021, that's what fuels you know fifteen sixteen thousand dollar an acre farm ground. That's what fuels high dollar tractors and, and a lot of the things we've got going on. So 
and I, and I think in many cases we're okay in doing that because we can afford to, but in some cases I'm not sure it's necessarily the best decision uh, given the subsidy that we have to provide that as we go forward. But uh, I guess getting back to the numbers, you know, the, the balance sheets look strong, I, th- I think for the most part for, for most everybody. And uh, any things came in uh, looking good. Our, you know, obviously with grain prices where they are, that certainly helped current ratios and working capital quite a bit, you know, in those livestock operations, getting things up better than two to one so we can deal with the volatility a little bit better. Grain operations better than one and a half to one. They can deal with it a little bit better sometimes. Uh, leverage ratios, you know, stories like to see those at, at better than 50%. I guess one that, that we don't necessarily talk about so much, but I, I think in, in banking circles and regulator circles more so is probably debt service coverage. And liking to see that better than the 125, and most of our operations are are looking better than that right now. So we have to look at it from from our standpoint, uh, you know, as to where we feel the operations are. Uh, We also have to, you know, regulators take a look at it. And regulators, they look at some of the cash flows, they look at some of the debt service coverage, but ultimately they tend to be more concerned about collateral. And... Uh, you know, are, is the bank secured? Is, you know, is there a chance of loss? You know, the thing that I've learned in my time, there's, there's only two ways that loans get paid back. And one is the profits, and the other is the sale of the asset. And I've learned that I'm not very good at selling assets. And so I'm more concerned about what is the profitability of the operation. So it, it, that gets back to, you know, what, what are we doing to determine is the operation profitable? And that's where, Yes, it's important for the individual to provide those numbers to the bank, but it's really more important that that the individual operation knows and understands what those numbers say and what they mean and, and, and getting inside the numbers. Because if, if you're just putting them on a paper, piece of paper to, to please the bank, to please the board, to please the examiners, those are probably the wrong reasons. You need to take those numbers and, and figure out how to how to manage from those numbers and, and do what they're telling you. And if they're telling you that you're doing well and making money, keep on doing it and doing more. If they're telling you that I'm not making money, then you should get out of it while you still have something left. Um, but you really need to understand what those numbers numbers say to you. Yeah, Tim, I just want to back you up one one little bit, I guess. Uh, one ratio that you mentioned that we're not as familiar with and, and the bank maybe plays, you know, places a higher priority on it, that's that debt service uh, coverage ratio. Could you maybe explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, a lot of times we used to go ahead and we, look, we still do, I mean, look at our, our current ratio and, and say, you know, those are the assets that, that I have the ability to sell this year to service my, my debts in the coming year. And and sometimes you kind of have to be realistic about that and say, well, am I really going to sell those this year? And, and in many cases, the answer is no. Uh, but the debt service coverage, I mean, that, that takes a look at these are the actual things that I've, you know, this is the money that I'm going to have to be able to service debt as it comes due throughout the year. And so that, that lets me know that, okay, for every dollar that I've got, I've got a dollar twenty-five or I've got a dollar twenty or dollar fifty coming in to be able to pay that debt off through the year. So, and that, that covers, you know, it goes across industries too. I mean, that's one of the things we tried to do at the bank is not really separate out ag as being something different than any other commercial business because it, we have to treat it just like anything else. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so 
those are all kind of what the bank looks at internally. Um, would you say there's anything um, in addition? I think, you know, you're, you're talking about just understanding profitability and making sure that, or I guess if that is available, um, kind of looking at ways to secure that because that's ultimately what leads to, to the bank um, getting paid back on those loans. But is there anything else um, that you would say operations should be looking at um, internally on top of some of those ratios and then just um, kind of what margins maybe look like for the next year? Is there any other um, financial benchmarks or anything like that that you would think uh, people should be comparing? Well, I think that, you know, probably the biggest thing to me is, you know, what are you doing to get good financial information? You know, it, it is in my time at the bank, we've improved a lot from when the individuals used to come in and sit down and we put together a financial statement and kind of did it and, you know, waited for the next year. And now, you know, obviously the better operations, you know, we've got account and prepared financial statements and, you know, getting good accrual numbers, which are really vital. I think, you know, for, for operations as we go forward to know what is the level of profitability that we have and, and, and we need to do that on a timely basis. We can't get him back our accrual numbers in the middle of June. So we've got to be able to have that in front of us to be able to manage from it. But probably my biggest disappointment in time is, is just the number of operations that really truly know what their level of profitability is, you know, year to year. And, and, you know, if you don't have that, you can't figure out, if you don't have a cool number, you can't figure out what your cost of production is. You can't figure out a cost to, you know, to, to, to make a bushel of corn or a pound of, pound of pork. And uh, we still have lots of operations that are not doing that. And even some of the ones that are doing it and spending the money to do it, don't take the time to manage from it. And, and that's really when, when you start getting into, once you have those numbers, then you can start taking a look at, you know, okay, historically, you know, we've made $5 a head on our pigs or you know, $10 or whatever that number is. And then you can take a look at them in the market and say, well, right now we can do, you know, we can do twice that, you know, you know we, we should go ahead and, and be doing something about it as we, as we look forward. But without having that historical number of where, we, where we're at, where we've been, what is the level of profitability, you know, what can we project out as we go forward? Uh, it's just a shot in the dark. What have you seen, Tim, would be the reason why operations don't come up with that? Is it because they're busy, they're operators, and they love being out in the field, or they love being raising livestock? Because cost of production is critical. You know, how do you know what, what is a good price if you don't know what your cost is to produce it? And, and so from where, what you're seeing in those operations, what are some of the obstacles of why they can't produce that information? Well, I think, I think you, you know, you hit it on the head. I think that's exactly right. A good share of the guys, guys, you know, operations in general, I think they decided to, to farm because they didn't want to sit behind a desk. And, and they're, like you say, they're very, very good at production. Um, and that's probably one of the things that I've seen over the years. It's, it's been a big evening out factor is, you know, so many of the individuals are, are very good at production years ago. Years ago, you could, you could weed them out by poor producers, but that's not necessarily the case so much anymore. But yeah, they, they don't like to take, you know, they don't like to sit behind the desk. They, they don't, you know, don't care to do it. Um, they don't want to spend the money. You know, and, and so, so if you don't like to do it yourself, you need to go ahead and, and hire for your weakness or, you know, have that information available to you. And then finding it is difficult too. Even if you, you know, could get it and willing to pay for it, 
finding it on a timely basis is also difficult. And you, we've got a lot of it operations that are in between. You know, they're they're you know they're too large to not pay attention to it, but yet they're not big enough where they can you know have somebody full time to commit to it and, and commit the dollars to it. So it's those in between operations I think that really have a challenge is to determine am I willing to commit my time, my money to to finding out what those numbers are so I can get better and, and continue to thrive or am I going to be satisfied with, you know, the operation size that it is and, and not take the additional risk and not, you know, look at the additional leverage or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of those, you know, talking about ratios and uh, numbers kind of saying uh, where we are now. Um, with that in mind, um, as far as looking forward and, and projecting, um, you know, maybe capital outlays, um, you know, when you're going to have capital expenditures, kind of where that's going to fall. Um, how important, I guess, is it for you um, from a lender's perspective to to understand um, when people are expecting to have those um, bigger type per- purchases um, so that you can be prepared for them? Would you say it's pretty important to kind of be in the know and expecting it instead of um, looking at an operating line and then a month later being like, Gee, I wonder what happened. You know, um, it's, it's bigger than I would expect with the prices that are out there. Is it pretty important for um, you to be in the know from the lending side? Yeah, I, I, no question. I think, you know, if you talk to most, most bankers, that's, that's one of the things that they try to avoid are surprises. So, you know, the, the importance of full disclosure, you know, to the bank and, and having that kind of relationship is, is really important, whether it's good information or bad information. So you need to celebrate those good times as well as, you know, commiserate our, 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 our problems. Uh, but yeah, it, it, the best operations that, I, that I've worked with in the past, we'll sit down and we'll have, we'll have those numbers, we'll be able to reflect on the previous year, you know, we'll be able to go ahead and take a look at, okay, this is a projected budget for this next year. This is a projected cash flow or how I see the cash going through my operation. This is the capital expenditure budget for this next year. And this is how it fits in. This is how the term payments fit into that. And, and we have that, we have that discussion. Now, that's not to say that you may not vary from it, you know, throughout the year for different reasons, but you have a discussion about that. And, and those those things are fine. And then, you know, as as the lender, then I can go ahead and present that that kind of information to the board. We have that kind of discussion. You know, when I'm when I have to sit down and discuss with the examiner what's going on in a particular operation, I know and understand that. And so that's that's the importance and that's the value of having that kind of relationship with the lender. And you know, if, if you're looking for a lender that is just the least least cost or really doesn't understand what you're trying to do or it hasn't been out in the operation that that might not be the best the best way to to make that selection and and i do think that's one of the challenges we've got right now in agriculture agriculture lending is we don't have a lot of good ag lenders around a lot of those individuals are retiring now the individuals that got into ag lending during the during the 80s because there wasn't an opportunity to go back to the farm. Uh, a lot of those individuals are retiring and, and they're not necessarily being replaced. Yeah, when you were talking about budgeting there, Tim, one thing that we see when when we do the budgeting process is, and you mentioned that it might not materialize the way you think, but at least you've got a benchmark to go back to and say, all right, what changed from what we were assuming at this point in time to what actually materialized? As you know, with livestock especially, disease is such can have such an impact on your operation and the number of pigs you sell, how fast they sell, you know, you know, you can have lack of 
lack of rain and all of a sudden we're expecting a production history type crop and we end up short. And so when you look back at that budget, you can say, all right, we were expecting 200 bushel corn or we were expecting, you know, hog mortalities here. What we actually realized was this. And you can kind of start to pull that puzzle together into, all right, so if those things didn't change, then our budget looks pretty good. But because they changed, our budget looks maybe not as good or it looks better because prices changed or, you know what I mean? It, it just gives you that kind of uh, benchmark to go back to, to understand what's going on. And without it, you're just looking at old information that sometimes doesn't tell you a very good story. No, that, that you're exactly right. I, I think, you know, the, the value of having that budget in front of you where you've got a, you know, budget and an actual and a variance, it actually gives you something to manage from throughout the year. You know, if you're just waiting till the end of the year, there's nothing that you can do to go back and change anything. But if you're able to go ahead and manage that on a month-to-month basis, I mean, that's, it's just a real powerful tool to be able to do that. You know, and then you also pick some of those important times during the, during the year, especially I always like to look at, you know, grain operation. I like to take a look at first week of August. And where are we at? What do crops look like? You know, are we going to be at 200 bushel or 220 bushel? You know, what does that, what does that project out, you know, through the rest of the year? Now, it may not turn out that way, you know, some of those kind of things. But, you know, if you have a better idea of where you're at through the first of August, that can help you, you know, as you look through whether it's marketing or whether you're looking at capital purchases for the coming year. But you're able to look at it in, in August as opposed to February. Yeah, Tim, I think um, one thing with the budget um, that I'm just thinking about um, in my head as you're talking is obviously um, prices are changing daily. Uh, we've got, you know, the market can move quite a bit um, in one day uh, with expanded limits and, and where they're at now. So with that budget comes, you know, how important is it for you to, to understand where an operation is from a risk management perspective as far as um, security on those, you know, because that budget can look like one thing. And if we have a low level of, um, you know, protection or, or sales in that, that thing can look completely different um, in the span of two weeks. So does that, does that weigh into that decision making as well with, the, you know, looking at the budget, looking at um, like risk positions, um, does that all kind of work together? You know, it, it does. And, and I think, you know, as I look back, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, some of the changes that we've seen over the last few years. But one of the things that I think has been consistent is, um, yes, we've had a lot more consistency in production ability. But when we look at the differences in marketing right now and what that means, I mean, it's it's well over a dollar in, in corn and probably $3 in soybeans as to, you know, some of the best marketers and some of those that, that, that have challenges and sitting down and actually, you know, being intentional about, you know, setting up a budget and knowing what my costs are and, and locking in some of those profits. You know, yes, I need this. Now, you know, if you're in a position where your, your leverage position is low and you're willing to deal with volatility, that's fine. You can do whatever you want to. But if you've got some leverage out there and, and you can lock in some, some profitability levels that you feel good about and historically for your operation are, you know, on, on the right side of those things, you've got to take a look at it as to, you know, hitting singles and doubles isn't all bad. Yeah, for sure. Adam, did you have anything else you wanted to add kind of that conversation? Yeah, I was, I was going to, when you were talking and we're talking about budgeting, one thing that we also see, Tim, is, you know, understanding how your operation kind of moves through financial statements that sometimes there's a gap. And I think over time, farms have gotten bigger. The number of acres that an operation is, is going over has grown. The number of 
pigs or cattle that they're feeding has grown and they just don't have a good feel for where's that cash going. And without financial statements, it's pretty tough. At least we see with the, the folks we work with, it's pretty tough for them to understand. They go, God, where's all my cash? And you go, well, your inventory is 25% greater on your livestock and you just increased your row crop operation, 500 acres. So we went up 20% there. That's where your cash is. And if you're not tying cash and profitability in the balance sheet together, it, it feels to some of those operations like, holy crap, this thing's getting away from me. I don't know where it's going. We have no money. And really their money is just invested in inventory or Conversely, if it's not going well, you need to know that, but you sometimes can have that buried in in those assets as well, too. So I think being able to understand what's going on in the operation through those financial statements helps people understand why they're valuable. And without it, they just, you know, you're just kind of running, running fast. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, and I, I think, you know, I think too often as individual operations don't take the time to do that. I also don't think necessarily a lot of the bankers take the time to understand on an individual basis, what is actually going on in the operation. And, uh, you know, I know, like you say, sometimes when that operation is growing and okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to, we're going to add, you know, 5,000 pigs this year. What is the pipeline going to take? How many more, how many more dollars is that going to take in, in the operation as we go forward? And you, you need to go ahead and plan on those things. And if you know about it ahead of time, then it's not a surprise to the lender. It's not a surprise to the individual that, oh, yeah, by the way, we've got, you know, another 500000 another million dollars on the, on the operating line here at the end of the year. Why did that happen? You know, some of those things are important. The, the other part of it is sometimes there's some misfinancing and sometimes it's intentional. But you, you also need to sit back and take a look at the structure of what you've got out there and and this is not necessarily the fault of the of the operator the operation sometimes and sometimes sometimes it's the fault of the bank and sometimes it's intentional by the bank to to go ahead and structure things such that you know in in my years sometimes if you have guys have money in their pocket they spend it <laughs> and sometimes they don't necessarily spend it on things that are you know productive back to the farming operation so it's a case of knowing knowing your borrower and and how they operate but if I can go ahead and if I can get those fund buildings paid for in 10 years or 12 years, then all of a sudden I've got cash freed up to be able to do things down the way. So, you know, again, that's just knowing and understanding what's going on. And if I get that stuff paid for, then I know that if I need to go to the well because there's a problem down the way, I can go to the well because I've got equity back in other, other parts of the operation. So I think that's an important part of knowing and understanding what the financial statement tells you and what's out there. You know, at the same time, it could tell me that, okay, this thing's just been restructured and I can't go to the well anymore. This is it. We can't do anything, you know, that, that's out there. So knowing and understanding the makeup, the structure, and, and what's in that financial statement and, and how it impacts how we go forward is huge. Do you see a little more lackadaisical spending when, when times are good? You know, so that, no. that misfinancing, you know, one thing that we talk about a lot with the folks we work with is, like you said, having things appropriately financed is the operating line carrying long-term debt because you you bought this and you bought that and you bought this and all of a sudden a market change happens and, and cash is tight and our operating is getting full, but it's because we're carrying some long-term debt on there. Do you see that happen more when when times are good or do you just see it maybe just more generally? No, I, I yeah, there's no there's no question about it. And the other part that enters into it, and I think we've experienced it here over the last you know ten to fifteen years, you have more people that have entered into the banking business. 
to, you know, whether it's, you know, John Deere or Pioneer or, you know, whoever, they're willing to go ahead and provide that financing out there without necessarily looking at the whole picture. And, and so sometimes that $500,000 combine or $400,000 tractor didn't necessarily fit into the cash flow of the operation, but it's still out there. And so sometimes that gets, you know, those payments get drawn on the operating line and it, it, it doesn't work. It may work now. It may work under what we made this last year, but it may not work, you know, next year when we lose five dollars ahead. Yeah, Tim, just circling back just a little bit. Um, you mentioned, you know, the the ag lenders, you know, maybe being uh, fewer of them um, as you know some of them reach um, their retired age. And then with that, you know, you mentioned some bankers maybe not taking the time to understand the operation, kind of like you're talking about um, right there. Would you say it's more important um, for the operations to, to help that education process along um, with, with understanding what's going on in their operation? Do you think it's more important than ever um, for, for an operation to help help the lender understand what is going on? Oh, yeah, no, no question. And, but I think the best thing that you can do to do that is, is to come prepared to meet with a lender. So prepare your financial statement, prepare your, uh, your, your income statement, have that information professional business, you know, set an appointment, meet with them. Don't wait for him to call you, you know, have, have the answers to his questions. You know, those are, those are important. Invite, invite the individual out to visit, you know, be proud of the operation, what you're trying to do, because the more informed they are, I mean, they're in a, they're in a help me help you situation. So if you can help them understand what's going on, they can help you, you know, a, a lot more down the line. For sure. With that, uh, kind of going to move on a little bit from that topic, but uh, just kind of looking at, at 2021, um, ended up being a pretty good year for kind of all types of ag producers in the state of Iowa. Uh, with that, I think the, the thought of growing, uh, maybe to, to either avoid tax reasons or just to um, expand the operation and get more people um, involved uh, back on the farm. Would you say, um, or I guess, what would you say uh, operations that are considering growth uh, should be looking at? Is it kind of all tied into what we've already covered up to this point? Is there anything in addition? No, I, I think I think there's a lot of the lot of the same things that we've looked at. I, I, again, I think we have to be a little careful that we don't grow for growth's sake necessarily. Uh, I do think, I guess, I mean by personal opinions, I think it's it is a little bit of grow or die out here, and, and so I do think there needs to be some growth. But if it's if it's unprofitable growth, we don't need to go there. I, I know we've seen some land purchases this last year, and you know, I, I love land and I think everybody does and we all want to buy more of it, but land purchases slow growth because you're going to need to subsidize it. And, and, you know, there's my philosophy on it is there's kind of two kinds of decisions you can make. You can make economical decisions or you can make emotional decisions. And a lot of these decisions have been pretty, pretty emotional. And, you know, some people can afford a lot more emotion than others. <laughs> And uh, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. And, you know, some people, I would have a problem in going ahead and financing 100% on $16,000, you know, an acre farm ground as long as they're in a position that they can afford it. But does it make sense for some people? Not necessarily if, if they're all about growth and want to make the most economical decisions possible. So um, is it going to be a good time? You know, if you're going to grow on the land side, you know, machinery, all of those things are especially expensive right now. Livestock, you know, uh, I think there's still going to be some more opportunities in, in livestock, you know, you know, new buildings. Those prices have come up substantially. You know, I think there's going to be 
ways to make that work uh, and that some of that's going to need to be working with others. I think there is going to be an opportunity out here for the number of individuals that are getting to retirement age that are looking to work with you know younger people or other operations. Uh, and so I think that's an opportunity for growth for some. But yeah, I, I still think there's lots of opportunities for growth in agriculture, and I think that's going to continue to happen, but it may be different than it's been in the past. And, and I don't know that we can expect to have the kind of margins that we enjoyed this last year as we go forward. Yep, for sure. Yeah, we, would, um, we would agree with that as well. Yeah, I think uh, you kind of mentioned my next question I've got on here. I think you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, just kind of thinking about successful operations. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's the being good at, at production um, and then also understanding um, the financial side of your operation as well and, and making good decisions with, with both of that. Uh, but just going to ask you to think about, you know, some of the more uh, successful operations that you've worked with um, in your, your short career uh, there. Outside um, of production, are there traits or processes that um, some of those had in common that will Allowed them to, to be successful? I think, you know, I think a willingness to learn. The, you know, I think some of those individuals that have, have you know, look for outside education, uh, open to ideas, uh, you know, desire to be better. You know, I think, I, I guess they, they seek to address some of their weaknesses. And I think one of the things that's made us so successful in agriculture is, is our, our independence but I think sometimes that gets in our way. And I think sometimes we have to go ahead and reflect on, you know, what don't I do quite as well and how do, how do I, how do I deal with it? And I think those, as we go forward, uh, those that, that have tended to treat it more like a business and look at it as a business, I think that they tend to be in a, in a little bit better position. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, trying, you know, at the bank, we try not to go ahead and separate agriculture from, from, from anything else. And, and that's, the, you know, kind of the challenge that I have back to individuals that say, okay, you're in charge of managing, you know, $3 million, $5 million, you know, $25 million of assets. If you took that and, and cashed it all in and gave it to a stockbroker, you know, he's going to give you 7% return and you, you didn't do anything. I said, so what are you doing to manage those assets in the farming operation to give, you know, 10, 12% return every year? Because you've got more risk and, you, you know, all the only additional work that you're doing, you better get paid for that. Otherwise, you might as well cash it in. So and I think trying to get individuals to look at what they're doing and treat it every day like a business, that's kind of different. And, and I think uh, those that have been successful have been able to successfully make that transition. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense because you know you talk about you know a willingness to learn and addressing your weaknesses. That's that's important, not just in ag. That's important in every business and probably every facet um, of our life. I think that's what we we all try to do. So that that makes sense that 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 leads to um, you know maybe success. Um, I guess moving on from or with that. Um, what would you say the biggest roadblock uh, would be in the way of, of taking an operation from decent or, you know, okay to, to maybe achieving their goals uh, year in and year out, whatever those may be? Well, I think we talked you know, a little bit about some of that earlier. And I think that the biggest roadblock is, is having that good financial information of knowing where you're at. It still is, is just hard for me to fathom the number of operations and the size of some of those operations that really don't have a good idea where they're at. And even sometimes when they do have the numbers, 
they don't really get into them enough. I mean, they, they do the numbers because I think they have to for the bank or they're in a good enough financial position that nobody really puts any pressure on them. And so they don't really dig into it enough to do a better job of management. But so, so knowing where you're at, I think is the first part. The second part, I think, is being able to set goals of where I want to go. You can't set those goals until you know where you're at. And then after that, then you've got to have some form of measurement. You know, did I, did I accomplish those goals? Did I get there? And then, then you need to be able to go ahead and ask the why. You know, why didn't it happen or why did it happen? And, you know, you can take a look and, and you know, do something as you go forward. And then what are the steps to improve next year? You know, and, and how do I, how do I change what I've, what I've done in the past? And I think those are things that if you're, if you're a good operation and want to be better, those are some things that you can do to, to, to help get you there. Awesome. Kind of wrapping things up here, Tim, you, you had a, a long, wonderful career there at the bank and going from the early eighties to, you know, now 20, well, 2021, you're going to be, you're not in the industry now in 2022, but you're around what are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed in ag industry in the last 20 years? And, and then what do you expect or not expect, but, but what, from your perspective and all that you've seen, you know, what do you think some of the changes we have in front of us that are coming that maybe can provide some insight? Oh boy. That was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> well, maybe the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know you are just retired. So maybe your memory is getting old too. Yeah. Too. But, but, the one thing I can say is when I started, when I started lending, interest rates were 18%. And really, they've done nothing but go down ever since that time, you know, which has been a good thing for agriculture, fortunately. Were the ratios uh, the same back then, Tim? So would you have had the same kind of uh, debt-to-asset ratio at 18% as you did 5 6 7%? Well, you still looked at some of those things, and so, you know, you know the, the amazing thing is we were still looking at three fifty and $4 corn, Back then, which we were doing that two years ago too. We were still looking at three fifty and four dollar corn. Now, okay, if you looked at a land loan at seventeen or eighteen percent at four thousand dollars an acre, you know how much different is that than you know one at sixteen thousand dollars an acre at four percent? So, yeah, it's you know some of those numbers. Now, what has changed are some of the margins that we have to deal with as far as our input costs and some of those things. The margins on what we make on a bushel of corn and a pound of pork are, have become much slimmer, you know, that, and that's going to continue to, to drive to be, you know, we're going to have to be a least cost producer if we're in a commodity market. Otherwise we're going to have to find, you know, we're going to have to specialize in some way. And so I, I think we have to figure out what our niche is and, and how, how do we get to that point? It's kind of interesting is, you know, I've got a, a son in Denver and I enjoy driving through Nebraska and see, some of the things that have happened in Nebraska and the size of the farms and what they're doing and, and the further west you go, they, they, they seem to get larger. And more of that is coming this way. So I think we're going to continue to see the consolidation of agriculture. And we haven't experienced this here in eastern Iowa as much because we have good land, we have good water, we have you know, good markets. And so we've kind of been able to live off the fat of the land. And so it hasn't forced some of the consolidation that we've seen in some of the other areas. But I think it will come. It will take a little bit longer, but it, more of that will, will will get to this point. So I guess those are some of the things that I that I see, you know, down the way. You know, right now, or I guess some of the things in looking back, we had a bunch of individuals that were in the lending business and got burnt real bad in the eighties and nineties, and they got out of it. And when I say lenders, I'm talking about those that are outside of banks. 
and even banks for that matter got to the point where they didn't want to finance agriculture. Now you see a bunch of people that are jumping back into it and in some cases don't necessarily understand it and would be quick to, to pull back if that's the case. And so I caution, it's easy to be a lender now. It's not a problem. So the challenge is being a lender when times are bad. Is that individual going to hang with you through, you know, when you're losing, you know, $10 ahead, $20 ahead on hawks? You know, you know, those are some of the things that happened in, you know, in 98 and, you know, a few things like that that you, you need to keep in mind as you're, as you, as you go forward. Because, you know, as I looked at that, you know, two years and 10, there's going to be some years in there that are not, not very much fun. And so you need to take a look at that in the, in the, in the long run. As, as I mentioned earlier, you've seen people, t- you know, take, you know, farming and, and what we're doing out here more as a way of life and, you know, a way to get by and turn it into a business. That's going to continue. Uh, with the dollars that we're, we're dealing with and the size of the operations, uh, we have to treat it as a business. I think as we look forward, as I mentioned, I think consolidation is going to be there. I think management of labor is going to be a huge, huge issue as we go forward. Finding the bodies, finding the individuals that are willing to work, finding the individuals that have the capacity to do some of the, the jobs that we've got out here. And so I think it's going to force uh, It'll force consolidation. It'll force mechanization. Uh, those things are going to happen. The, the other thing I think that's out there that we're going to face more of is uh, we don't have, you know, politics doesn't have our back, and we don't have many friends outside of agriculture. And I think that's a that's a, a real adjustment from where we've been in the past. I mean, we've always been seen as viewed as positive. I don't know that the general public views agriculture necessarily is positive anymore and uh how do we get out there and tell the story and, and because we need to do more of that yeah we and talk about that sometimes when we present tim this country hasn't been hungry in a long time and, no. that, and that's been on the back of the american farmer being so productive and so good being the best in the world at what we do at the right. same time that being the best in the world makes it really hard to be in the business because we can produce like crazy and in a commodity complex, supply and demand, if we can, if we produce a lot of supply, you know, it, it's readily available. That puts price pressure on those commodities. And so it makes being in business really tough. And it, it makes, I feel like people take for granted all the stuff we can think about all day long when our stomach isn't growling. You know, you just yeah. you don't have a lot of other concerns when you're not hungry. But when you are hungry, you've got one concern, and that's, that's to fill that belly. And, and this country just hasn't had that for so long. I feel there's an underappreciation for what American agriculture is and just how abundant and safe and secure our food source is. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I think you know, one of the other challenges that I have to lots of my customers is that of sales. And uh, farmers don't necessarily like to think of themselves as being salespeople. But I think they, 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 they need to look at it that way. And, you know, a lot of times they equate salespeople to the, you know, the feed salesman or the implement salesman that drives in their driveway and they don't want to deal with it. But, you know, they're a salesperson every day when they get up and, you know, do they mow the ditches and, you know, do they say hi to their neighbors and, you know, some of those kind of things. But at the same time, I think if, you know, if they want to look at working together with putting together, you know, a soil complex or, you know, taking taking pigs out of an operation or renting some additional land or, or doing some of those things. They're going to have to figure out how to sell themselves. You know, they need to sell themselves when they go into the bank. You know, how, you know, you, you do that by being prepared. You do that by understanding your operation. I mean, it is about sales. 
and, and, and they have to understand that. Like I say, a lot of times they don't think of themselves as being a salesperson, but that's an important part of their life as they go forward. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time today, Tim. We, we appreciate it in, in our line of work as we run around and try and work with operations and get our hands around the production side of the business, incorporate the financial aspect of the business that we spent some time talking about today. We get, a, we get to meet a lot of good people. And we get to meet a lot of good lenders. And uh, you've certainly been one of those. Hills Bank is, is a friend to a lot of the people we work with. And we, we appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate you coming on today. Hopefully, you know, anybody that listens takes something of value out of what we talked about here. I know Trevor and I are looking at each other across the table going, ooh, that's good. You know, we're taking a lot of notes. And hopefully the folks out there are too. And, again, appreciate the time. Best of luck to you in, in retirement. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll continue to be in touch. No, that sounds great. I'm uh, looking forward to it, and I, I've got my my office that I build out here in my my uh, my shed, and and I uh, look forward to meeting with folks, and uh, hopefully both of you can stop by and we'll visit some more. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care. So, Adam, here we are um, after Tim. Tim, uh, this great conversation that we had with him. Um, I thought be good to take a couple minutes here um, and just kind of unpack it, if you will, and, and some of the key takeaways. So if somebody doesn't have the time to listen to the full 45-minute conversation, you know, kind of the, the bullet points um, in five minutes, if, if we could kind of summarize that. Um, so I'll let you kind of roll with your initial takeaways. Yeah, I think if you we were listening to our conversation there for the last 40 minutes or so, one thing that he said multiple times was, you know, having good financial information, how important that is for not just the operation to understand where they're at, but for the, for the bank to understand where they're at and kind of evaluate where they're at. And so, you know, having good financial information, we say all the time with the people we work with, we want to make good decisions with good information. And ultimately when we're making decisions in an operation, it's for some financial benefit, right? It's, it's to either buy something cheap or sell it high, manage a margin. And uh, without good information, it's tough to do that. So I think we heard Tim say that numerous times throughout our conversation there that to me is a key takeaway for the listeners is, hey, how do I get my information to where my lender would talk about our operation the way that Tim was talking about the ones that are successful? Yeah. And I think, you know, okay, talking about, you know, ones that are successful, you know, I think the willingness to learn and think of yourself as a not necessarily an ag ag business. I do think that's that's a point worth visiting again because we've kind of talked about it um, elsewhere. Yeah, treat 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 it like a business, um, in a sense from that standpoint. But also, it's ag, and it's you know, I mean, we don't get to pick our price um, for what we're selling. Um, I don't, you, you remember that conversation that we've had? I don't know if you can reiterate that um, again. With as far as we can't just pick a margin and and yeah, make so that margin each time because he was talking about you know right like think of yourself as a business, but at the same time you think of yourself with with business decisions and stuff like that. But some of it's out of our control as far as what the market's doing. There's stuff, you know, like we talk about that we can do to take control a little bit. But to a degree, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Yeah, that's what's unique about agriculture. As compared to, I think, the example we give when we present in places is, you know, a widget manufacturer knows exactly what his cost is on that widget because there's very little variables in there. Maybe a little bit of labor, maybe some repairs, but he knows what it costs. He then goes to the market with the price he wants to sell it at to achieve his desired return, he's got to earn market share. He just has to go sell it. Well, in ag, it's a little bit different, right? We've got mother nature that can affect the size of our crop, that can affect the health of our pigs. Uh, We've got prices that move around and production that moves around. And so we don't get to pull up to the elevator and say, I got a load of corn here. Give me $5. 
there is that supply and demand aspect to the commodity world that ultimately sets that equilibrium price. And that's, that's a little bit different. And so sometimes people don't feel like they have control of that, but they do. And I think that leads into what he was saying about, you know, what's your decision-making tool? How are you making these decisions? Yeah. And that was interesting. You know, he was kind of talking about, okay, now you've got all this information, but there's maybe operations that don't manage based off of that information. I thought that was um, an interesting topic. And I think that's kind of where, where we come in, right? You know, there's, there's getting information, then that's one part of it. And then there's executing or taking action based off that information. And sometimes the action is no action, or sometimes the action is, you know, it's different depending on what that information is, but he did talk about that. Right. And I think, uh, you know, one of the tools that we use a lot with our clients is, the hog margin calculator for hog producers, the cattle margin calculator for cattle producers, and our row crop cost of production kind of margin calculator there. Being able to have a tool that you simply understand, I think, is is valuable because then that allows you to get the next step like you're talking about is execute. And so getting the information is great. Being able to utilize the information is kind of the secret sauce, what makes it all come together. And that's where, you know, we've got a couple of those tools that we use a lot that fit right into what Tim was talking about there. Yeah. And with that, you know, the accrual information, he talked about having accrual financials because it is, you know, as, as operate, like he was talking about as operations continue to get bigger and, and there are tools that are out there that allow you to track, you know, hogs or cattle based on a group, but sometimes it is hard to keep track of, well, how did this specific group do, but kind of understanding that accrual financial. So when you look at back at your year, you're able to to distinguish, you know, the, the good times from the bad times versus just the cash, the cash movement flow, of cash like and we the operation. About, so. Yeah. Cause the movement of cash and operation is different than profitability for the operation. And I think a lot of operations got very solid accounting procedures for paying bills and staying up to date on stuff, but taking it to that next level to account for the accrual changes that takes effort and it, it takes some time to sit down and, and figure out how to incorporate that into your, your operation. Cause it's just not natural for a lot of them that, you know, they, their business has grown by just getting cash in and writing checks out. And to get to that next level, like Tim was talking about, accrual, you got to have it. You, you got to understand it's not the flow of cash. It's the profitability in the operation and our earnings actually making it back to your balance sheet and improving it, or are they going away in expenses in the operation? Yes, yeah, so I think that's a good time. You know, if if anybody listening is is interested in, um, you know, maybe looking at some of those margin calculators that that we've got here, or um, just the whole package, you know, we you can shoot us an email, um, contact at future profits dot com, and we can we can have a conversation about um, any and all of this this stuff. I thought that was a really good conversation that Tim had, and and led into probably a lot of your thoughts when you started this business, you know, in, in early 2018. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of those things that he was talking about are what we feel like we can deliver to the people we work with to help elevate their business to that next level. You know, those decision-making tools we're talking about, part of a change that we've made in, in our business is providing some products. So uh, we know that we can't have a consulting relationship with everybody. And so we've taken, you know, bits and pieces of our process, some of these effective tools for, for making decisions and helping operations be, be profitable and we're not providing them online, you know, with, with some products that can be purchased out there. And so the web address that you mentioned will will get you in contact with somebody or you can go to our website yep. and uh, they're accessible there on tools or resources or somewhere on our website. 
Yep, it'll be under the the products tab eventually. Um, I think that's that's in the process of of being put out there. But if you reach out to us, you know we can get. It's it's kind of you know the website's just a way to look at it, but understanding that you know you might have want to have a conversation with someone before going through the process of of purchasing anything like that. So just you know get a hold of us, uh, contact at future profits dot com or just visit future profits dot com. Uh, reach out to us there. Um, final thing. He talked about the next 10 years, some of the big changes that he was maybe looking forward to. I think the big one that I wrote down, that's obviously um, right now, it's a big deal, management of labor. Is no that question. the biggest one that you thought of what he talked about? You know, consolidation has been, a, yeah. it's been happening yeah. for several years. It, it still is, is happening. The labor thing, it, it feels like a ball rolling downhill on us. Like it is really accelerated. It's a bigger problem than ever. And we can't replace everything we do mechanically. And so there's going to have to be, uh, some some solutions, strategic partnerships. Something's got to happen there to to kind of help this labor issue that looks to me like is is a problem now, and it's going to be a growing problem into the future. Yeah, and I think he, with that he talked about people don't appreciate ag maybe as much. And I think is there you know some advocating that needs to be done on on producers side or you know all of us in the ag world to you know try to get people. To, to understand the value of ag and, and want to contribute to that um, industry. Um, and then along with getting people to, to, to have a positive message about ag and about the, the food they're eating really. Right. Yeah, Cause I, I mean, that's a, that's a thing that's continuing to come up and gonna, I'm only imagining it's going to continue into 2022. Definitely. The, the advocacy sales that he was talking about, yeah. you know, they, they go hand in hand. He was talking about selling your operation, which is advocacy. Yeah. And so definitely you can't do enough of that, but for an operation, or even an individual, it's just tough and awkward to do it, you know? Yeah. And so it takes, it's an, almost like as an industry, we need to do, you know what yeah, I mean? As it, an industry, but it's gotta, it's gotta go to the individual level in order, I think to gain any traction yeah. because the industry, if everybody's looking for somebody else to do yeah. it, it never yeah. really happens. And so it's awkward as it is. I think we got to start puffing up our chest and, and strutting, you know, strutting around and saying, Hey, we're, we're damn good. And I think it's hard because, okay, we can do it here in rural Iowa or rural Nebraska, or, you know, rural Minnesota or, or wherever. Um, but, those people, for the most part, understand the message. It's it's trying to get the message to people that are not. It's here. those that are not connected to the yeah. farm. They have no connection so to the tough, farm, but... and they have no understanding of of how that food gets to their plate. It's kind of where things get a little off track, and they just assume that you know everything big is bad, which isn't true. There's some very big family operations that are really good. Mm-hmm. There's also some large corporate operations that are very good, and there's some that are bad in both scenarios. Yep. And so, just understanding that it. it it takes this agriculture world that we have in America is like none anywhere in the world. I don't know how many countries are self-sufficient on food and water and, and we are one of them and it's just not an issue. And because it's not an issue, it's becoming an issue. It's becoming an issue that people are more interested in and they have more problems with, with the way it is. And so be an advocate, sell what you do, yeah, it's, I, I think we could have a, a podcast on how many topics. I thought it was awesome, you know, what, what Tim talked about. You know, we could break everything apart if we wanted to and go into it. But it's great. I hope uh, you guys that are listening uh, were able to take something away from that as well. Um, and, again, if you got any questions or, or want us to talk about it, dive into anything further or whatever, email us, uh, contact at future-profits.com. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Good to go. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and were able to take something beneficial back to the farmer office. Be sure to check us out on our website, future-profits.com. There you can learn a little bit more about us, check out our consulting services, and view our product offerings. 
If you have any topic ideas or things you have questions about, feel free to drop us an email at contact at future-profits.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at future underscore profits to stay up to date on the podcast. Until next time. There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.